Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where you take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. And as usual, if you have questions, feel free to send them in to us. Uh, maybe a question pops up while you're hearing us talk about the Bible, or maybe something as you're reading stands out and you need more clarity. Uh, we'd love to take some time at the end of every podcast as much as we can to answer some of those questions. You can send those questions via email to info at grove.church, not gove, grove, G-R-O-V-E, uh, info at grove.church, or you can direct message us on our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. We've got two campuses in Snohomish and Marysville, uh, but you're welcome to send in those questions via direct message as well. We will get those questions and answer them as promptly as we can. All right. Well, today we are doing an episode that we, uh, I think we first teased back in like March. It's like six months ago. Yeah. Pre-COVID. Um, boy, that messed up all of our plans for everything. So what are you going to do? Uh, but yeah, we talked in the beginning of the year about how when we have fifth weeks um, in the month, we want to do special episodes about completely different things. Well, we haven't been able to really do that as much because there's just been random weeks where like we just both, haven't had anything. Yeah. Well, we're also just both insanely busy with like, hey, we need to completely change the way that we do church this week. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. Um, but we did want to do it. So yeah. we decided that this week is as good as any. We're going to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, which is, it's interesting because I think it's something that most people have heard of, uh, at least the name, yeah. but maybe not looked too much into and not understanding, well, why are these important? Um, so yeah, yeah, I wonder how many people, and maybe I'm, I'm just wrong here, but because like, Having grown up in the church to study ministry, I've had really good you know, conversations about the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I wonder how many of us who have just lay people in the church, meaning we just were, were part of a church, but we don't necessarily step into ministry, how much we actually have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, except in a passing statement. Right. Um, so that's part of the reason why we, we want to take some time just to talk about uh, what they are and the value and importance of them for us today. So Yeah. So we're taking a little bit of a break this week as we won't be focusing as much on... Uh, Scripture. It's because we didn't read the Bible this week. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, No, but I think it's a really interesting, if nothing else, it's a fun thing to know about. Um, But more importantly, there are, and we'll get to these in a little bit, there's important things that we know about the Bible because of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So uh, as far as what we're using today, uh, we're using the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary by J.D. Douglas, Merrill Tenney, and Moises Silva, as well as The Stones Cry Out by Randall Price, which is a book on biblical archaeology. So, And and, Evan's totally nerding out right now. Oh, it's good stuff. This is right up his alley. He loves this stuff. And then there is, um, there was a, uh, what was the name of your study Bible that you had? Oh, uh, it's called the archeological study Bible. There you go. Aaron was looking through that too. We didn't add it to. No, didn't we didn't, we resources. didn't add it because there was most of what was already put in here. Uh, it wouldn't have added more to the conversation. It just complemented and confirmed some of the stuff we've already put in it. So there you go. But it is a great Bible. It's, it's, I told Evan, if nothing else, it's a very beautiful Bible because it's all color and Boom. talks about the archeological history and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, just a fun Bible to have. All right. So the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, as the name suggests, we're found by the Dead Sea. So that's in Israel. Uh, it's south of the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. And these were found in an area called Kerbet Qumran, which is uh, in the north northwest corner of the Dead Sea. I can't remember if it's northwest or northeast. Yes. But anyway, so that's where these are going. Um, and, and like many ancient documents or ancient things, it's it's funny how it's found um, because it was just it was just randomly found basically by Bedouins. So they're... Yeah, they just found them and then there's like, hey, I wonder what these are. Yeah. So I, I, I was telling Aaron, I, I should have looked up which one, but I, I, one of the dinosaurs, I don't remember which one, but it's like one of the actual like famous ones. The first fossil was discovered by like 
kids like who are just like playing somewhere and then they're like oh this is cool i don't even know how you have that information in your head uh when i was a kid i played um maybe you've heard of the computer game 3d dinosaur adventure nope never it's pretty it was never heard of it for like the one listener out there who's like yes it was it was my game in the 90s it was awesome you just scratched the nostalgic nerve of one person exactly great job anyway but sorry if you know what game that is please comment and evan will be your new best friend so getting back to it, uh, they were first discovered in 1947, or at least the first time that we have record of them being found. Maybe they were seen before that, but no one really talked about it. Um, no, everything I read today too, because one of the things I, I also, I jumped into Logos Bible Software too, to talk about, uh, look into this, the, I know, right? Nerding. Um, but to, to kind of identify some things. And I was just reading the story of how they were found. It kind of was almost like a, it's almost like a comical narrative, which is what Evan was alluding to. Um, but everything pointed about that 1947-ish window of time. That they were, that they were officially like this is this is what they are. So. Yeah, and between 1947 and 1993, so pretty recently. Yeah, like it's not. I mean, I remember 1993 because I was a kid in those days, but um, well, yeah, it's pretty recently. And it's also not like you know, it's not like someone broke down a wall and then found a library full of books and yeah, scrolls. Right. Like it's a, a bunch of different caves in this area and people are exploring them. And then as they go deeper in, find they these find clay pots exactly. that have these ancient scrolls in them. Some that they couldn't even unroll because they were so old and brittle. So just a little side note. So there are over in the, in the total of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there are over 1100 documents uh, with representation from every Old Testament book, except Esther. Except so, Esther. Which is kind of funny, but there you it go. It is kind of funny to think about. So. She didn't make it in, uh, but the rest of the books did. Um, I didn't write it down, but I think there was over 100,000 fragments of documents. So there, it's so part of the reason that the Dead Sea Scrolls are so significant is because when, we, when we're talking about particularly ancient literature... You don't find it yeah, very often. It's true. Um, and there's, um, I cannot remember that it's an ancient Greek tragedy playwright. I don't remember who he was, but anyway, he's like the, the Sophocles, I think is who, is he yes. this one? Yeah. Anyway, there's, we have like, I think it's 25% of his works and he's basically the Shakespeare of his day mm-hmm. in the sense of like super famous playwright, super popular, all these different things. Most of it is lost in time. Uh, when we look at like probably the most famous ancient Greek literature is like the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. We have very few um, documents that date back a long way. Yeah. So you you don't you don't find massive amounts of biblical texts or not biblical of texts, ancient, ancient, ancient texts. Yeah. yeah. Because um things just get lost. A if they're on papyrus, it it breaks. Yeah, like it dissolves it, quickly. Like it's yeah. not it does it's not built to stand the test of time. Yeah. You see um like fires are a big deal. Mm-hmm. We talk about um like one of the greatest uh, I don't know what you call it, intellectual tragedies, I guess, of, of history is that the library at Alexandria burned because we just lost like so many. Oh my, like when you yeah. think about what was there, you're just like, oh my gosh, how did we lose it? Um, yeah. And even during like medieval times, um, when there wasn't as big an emphasis on education, you really do see like these documents are being found by monks and they're just being held in monasteries knowing that like we need to copy these, we need to make sure they make it down. And a, a lot of the ancient texts that we have are came to us that yep. way. So it, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, it's not like back in the day a book was finished and it was just put on a shelf. And then 2000 years later, we found it. It's yeah. no, there's like, if we have something today, there's incredible stories about how it was preserved and how yeah. we were able to get to it. Um, so anyways, what, what makes part of what makes the Dead Sea Scrolls so special is that there's just this massive amount of things yeah. that were found. Um, all right. So anyways, move, moving forward, let's talk a little bit about the people 
of Qumran, as it's Qumran. called, which is a fun word to say. Yeah. Um, we don't know a, a ton about them. We know they were Essenes, which mm-hmm. is a, a sect of Judaism. And we also know that at, at some point they had separated away from what we'll call Temple Judaism or mm-hmm. or the Jerusalem Judaism, I guess, if you want to say it that way. So they they're kind of like kind of a cult, I guess you could say. Not in the borderline. Uh, I think they were extreme. We'll say they're just extreme. Yeah, not in like the you know like Waco, Texas sense, but like in the not cult how we understand it today. Yeah, um, but they were uh, they were a tightly knit religious community mm-hmm. that mostly stayed where they were. Yeah, um, and that's part of the reason I I would think that the documents are so well preserved yeah. is because they kind of just kept they themselves. It. Almost, I guess you could say almost a monastery type thing yeah. where um, they're just kind of isolated off by themselves. And so when you see, um, especially like in 80, 70 and all these things where like armies are just coming through, Qumran seems to be mostly left alone. Yeah. So that's why we have, well, who wants to go out to caves? Yeah. Especially like, hey, I'm not, not going to conquer caves. It's weird. We can go so. to this big lake where you can't drink any of the water cause it's all salt. Yeah. Right. That'd be awesome. So anyway, uh, there you go. And then uh, one thing as we talk about today, and this is more of just kind of um, some context for as we discuss the importance of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, on this podcast, when we talk about the dates when books were written, we usually side with conservative early dates. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we mean by that is we don't operate under the assumption, or I guess, I guess we, to phrase it a different way, we operate under the assumption that the Bible is true. Yeah. Um, and so under that assumption when were books of the Bible written? And that's kind of how we attack it. So when we talk about, um, like the Pentateuch is a great example. Okay, well, if we believe that the Bible is true and that Moses wrote it, we're going to date- we do. Yeah, which we do. Uh, we're going to date the Pentateuch to about this time. And there's really no reason not to. It's mm-hmm. just kind of is what it is. Um, however, if you're, the, there's more liberal Christian scholars or just liberal scholars in general who give dates way later. And in fact, there's there's a significant portion of scholars who date even things like the Pentateuch to after the Babylonian exile or during the Babylonian exile. Um, and so the idea from how they're attacking these things is that there really wasn't a unified idea of who Yahweh was. There mm-hmm. wasn't a unified Judaism. Um, and then once the Israelites were forced to go into exile, it was then that there was a cultural renewal and they began creating these stories and these myths, um, or at least writing them down that had been passed down um, to preserve their culture yeah. is kind of the idea. So the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the big things they do is they poke a lot of holes in that theory. Um, and it's because the documents are old. Yeah, they're crazy old. They're so, and, and to put it into, um, to put it into perspective... Um, the oldest copy that we had of the Old Testament before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered was from AD 935, um, which, I mean, you might be hearing that date and you think that's a long time ago, and which, which it is. <laughs> that's over a thousand years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's also well over a thousand years removed from um, the first time that these books were written. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the 935 is the oldest fragments that we have. And yeah. I think the oldest complete Old Testament is like 1030 or something like, so maybe another hundred years after that. Yeah. And that's part of the, the, the whole textual criticism when it comes to, you know, the validity and authority of documents from ancient times is how, what, how big is this, this expanse between the projected date and the next closest document copy of it, if you will, so to speak. Right. Um, so the closer you can get to, to keep the gap between these dates of a document, that's a copy of the original document the better off, the more authority it has. Uh, and it, give, it gives it more weight and understanding. And so th- that's a big deal to understand 
the the difference of from 935 before we found the Dead Sea Scrolls to the date that we have that I don't think Evan said yet. I'll let him say it, but um, it's it's important. It's a big figure to understand and realize that. All right. So yeah, going into the the document. So if 935 was the oldest that we have, uh, the oldest of the Dead Sea Scrolls are dated to about 250 BC. And then the newest ones are about 8068. So it's a thousand year swing almost. Yeah. So the, the thousand year swing. Yeah. From the, from nine fifth so from nine thirty five to two fifty BC. Yeah. I think it's, it's over a thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, again, conservative, I'm, I dwell on the fair. conservative side of things. So we're talking about at the, at the earliest, uh, intertestamental period. Um, and then at the latest, we're talking about there being written, with the gospels mm-hmm. essentially about the same time as the gospels are beginning to be written. So these are incredibly old documents. And like Aaron was saying, the closer that you can get to the old test to the original manuscripts dating, the, the more sure we can be that what we have is true. Yeah. Um, which brings us to another uh, important thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the texts of the old Testament. And I believe there's a complete Isaiah and there's a complete Psalms among other things. Um, but I think those are the two like, massive works that they have. I'm pretty sure about Isaiah. I actually don't remember about Psalms, but Mm -hmm. if not, it's close. So they match. Mm -hmm. And that, that is really the biggest thing about being able to prove that, okay, from 250 BC to 935 uh, to 8935, the documents are accurate. The documents are accurate. Yeah. There's not these massive changes. And that's even what you'll hear with, um, again, with like liberal scholars, they'll say, that in the beginning, Jesus wasn't really viewed as God. And then as the religion of Christianity began to take off, more and more people began to work in uh, mm-hmm. these myths to who Jesus was. And 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 so that, that's why it's important to continue to get ancient documents back um, as far as we can. And that's another reason that I think it, it, it is also just, I think sometimes when you're operating under an assumption, there's ways that you can go wrong. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I think like, for the, for the most part, when things are said to be written, I just kind of take it at face value, unless there's really strong evidence that it's not. And that's where you can get into like the Gnostic mm-hmm. Gospels, where it's pretty clear that these were written hundreds of years afterwards. But when you have like, especially the letters of Paul, which are pretty, um, they're pretty spot on for what they're talking about mm-hmm. and the different information given, as well as the Gospel account of Luke and, and the Acts of the Apostles, all of these things really lend um, to an earlier date. So there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. The time and then the time from write, the writings of the original manuscripts to the scrolls in some cases is less than the time between the scrolls and our second earliest manuscripts. So in other words, the time from Isaiah is being written about 600 BC, give or take, I think is what it is. Um, and we have copies of it from 250 BC. So that's a lot. The time from Isaiah first being written to when the Dead Sea Scrolls are here is less time from the Dead Sea Scrolls to the next earliest manuscript that we have from 8935. Yeah. So, Anyway, it's just important things to remember. Um, the other thing that it talks about, and I don't think this was really in contention all that much, but I guess it's just a good thing to know, is that the scrolls were also in the biblical languages. So they're in Hebrew, Aramaic, yeah. and Greek. So we know that um, there's not a ton of stuff being lost in translation, basically, yeah. is the whole idea. So the language is staying consistent. Uh, the words are staying consistent. That's the whole thing. So that's the big significant as far as dating yeah. goes yeah, yeah. Uh, from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, and that's a big deal. Like for for our, the authority of the of, of the Bible as we have it today, it's a big deal because it, it affirms and backs the author the authority and the consistencies, um, and and the trust that we can have that the document is not 
I don't know. It's not made up right. because of the, 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 this, the exactness of these manuscripts and, and that over the course of those years, there hasn't been changes and adjustments or adding to it. Um, you know, I guess the only thing that you could say that was added to it was the book of Esther because you don't have that in there. But uh, that in and of itself is an interesting conversation with the book of Esther. But yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, I just think that, that you've, we've got to understand, like, the Bible is not some whimsical thing. And I think in our world today where we're losing the value of, of understanding history in its entirety, this is significant for Christians today to recognize and understand the Dead Sea Scrolls are paramount in, in not just being able to trust the Bible, but trusting the canon of scripture, to trusting the, 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 the truth and the power of God's word as it's been given and, and as we have it today. Translations today are a little bit different. And we can probably talk about that at a different time about the value of translations and mm -hmm. the differences, um, which may not be a bad topic at one point. But as far as scripture is concerned, it stands. <laughs> well, and it really does show that the Hebrew texts that we're working from mm -hmm. in the Old Testament are the same um, as the manuscripts. Yeah. And obviously it's not perfectly proven with the Dead Sea Scrolls because we don't have the original manuscripts, but it's a really, it's a really silly argument to say that like from when Isaiah was written to the Dead Sea Scrolls, people made a bunch of changes, but then after that, the scribes took it really seriously. Yeah, right. So like it, it, it's showing that um, the scribes took their job. And when I say scribes, I mean, people whose jobs it literally was to copy books of the Bible mm -hmm. um, because, you know, files aren't digitized at this point. People know um, that scrolls and papyrus and all these different things eventually fade away. They break, um, they burn yeah. all these different things. And so um, there was a massive group of people in Israel whose job it was to just copy books of the Bible. And that was, that was all they did. Um, and they did it painstakingly. Yeah. And so we do know, I forgot what, um, what Jewish text it is that talks about what, what the scribes did, but they talk about how if they messed up, uh, they would literally throw away the whole thing and yeah. start over. So it was one good. misstroke of the, of the pen, so to speak, they would like, they'd have, they scrap the whole thing and redo it. Yep. It was very slow. It was very painstaking. And, and the other nice thing I think too, is that, um, because the people of Qumran and they, they, so they had some weird theological For beliefs. Sure. So we can like, it's not, um, I, it's almost kind of like, I, I think the, uh, the Apocrypha a little bit with some of their writings that aren't biblical is you see like, Oh, that's interesting that that's what they believe. Um, but what it does show is that even though they believed different things from temple Judaism, their copies of the Bible are the same. And the mm -hmm. reason we would know that is because the, the copies of the Bible at Qumran these aren't copies that are being copied. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like these copies of the Old Testament are what people are finding and they're copying from, and that's what we get today. And then we went back and discovered the originals. No, these people separated away. Mm -hmm. um, and so if there was going to be a marker of seeing the mainline Old Testament being changed throughout history, you would see those changes theoretically with a group of people that separated away yeah. from mainline Judaism. And craft their own narrative. Exactly. But we don't see that. We see their theological writings and the, how they're different from temple Judaism, but their actual biblical writings aren't. Yeah. The so, integrity of scripture that they passed on yep. is, is, is on point. So there you go. Um, the other interesting thing, and so this is what can we learn about the other scrolls? So, uh, forgetting the biblical scrolls for a second, um, one of the really interesting points of the the Essenes and Qumran is that they are believing and hoping for a Messiah. Mm -hmm. And this is another point of contention because what you'll hear from especially a lot of um, uh, modern Jewish scholars today is that there was not 
this great hope for a Messiah the way that Christians interpret it, but it's really something that we added in um, to make the story of Jesus more appealing. Yeah, appealing, palatable, whatever it is. Um, but what we see with the this sect of people at Qumran is that they have that interpretation of Scripture that there will be a Messiah who yeah. comes, um, and that you know, and again, there I I I should have written down exactly like what their theological points on the Messiah was, but I believe it they were still hoping for a more political Messiah, so they weren't expecting a carpenter's son. Yeah, who Jesus was. Yeah, but um, it. But does, let's be honest, how many of us? If we, if Jesus says he comes back again, we're expecting a certain thing. True, and it's and it doesn't it doesn't play out that way. So I think that's human tendency in nature to expect a certain thing. That's all power and all, but the form of a servant is not what we would expect. So yeah. Anyways, that's a different side note. So, but yeah, I think it's I think it's important to understand like the hope is founded. The hope is is biblical. The hope is that we get to anticipate for not just the Messiah but also Jesus to return. Um, those are all big things, and those are all valid and founded in scripture and you see this as it's passed on throughout history uh through the dead sea scrolls and the manuscripts that exist so yep so there you go that is our quick little was that 20 minutes so it wasn't very long uh but just a quick overview yeah of the dead sea scrolls why they're important what we can learn about those groups today so there you go hope to hope you enjoyed it a little bit of a little bit of a shorter podcast today um, but hopefully Which sometimes we'll, it's good to have a short one. That's true. Evan and I like to talk. So hopefully we'll make up with that with a, uh, a more complicated question that we have for the Q and A, but yeah, right. Uh, before we get to that, uh, go ahead and please leave us a review. It helps us get the podcast out there to more people and continue to grow, um, this community of people reading the Bible together. So whatever device, uh, you're listening on whatever platform you're listening on, just, uh, give us a five-star review if you can, or if for some reason it's a 10 star thing, give us 10 stars as well. Not, not five out of 10. Cause that would just. That'd just be hurtful. That's like two and a half. We don't want that. Exactly. All right. So question that came in. It's a great question. In 1 Corinthians 14, what was the meaning of prophecy in this passage? At the start, I thought it was talking, uh, it was talking about God. But then in verse 22, it says it is, um, wow, I cut off the question. Sign for the unbelievers. There you go. Wow. Look at me. Anywho. Okay. So basically in, we'll, we'll read this passage and we'll talk mm-hmm. about it a little bit. So 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 25. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In law it is written, Be people of strange tongue by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay. So, my mind goes back to uh, one of my favorite verses of the Bible. I don't have it off the top of my head, but in Peter, he talks about how complicated Paul is to yes. read. And so this, this is a perfect example of Paul just being like, you couldn't have said that in, in an easier way, man. So here, here's where we're at, right? The first verse that we're talking about is in verse 22. It says, thus tongues are not are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Um and so that seems backwards of what we've been told with the rest of 1 Corinthians, mm-hmm. because it, earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying like, hey, um, 
don't go nuts speaking in tongues inside of the church because it's going to confuse unbelievers. They're going to think you're crazy. And he even says this a little bit later, right? Um, but he says prophecy is good and it's an edification uh, corporately, but you shouldn't speak in tongues without an interpret- interpretation being present is kind of the idea there. So at first glance, verse 22 seems to uh, basically contradict everything that Paul had said. But then if you look at verse 23, it says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. Okay. So <laughs> again, it's like, it's really weird. Like why is Paul phrasing it this way because he literally says tongues are assigned not for believers but for unbelievers and he says but if unbelievers come in they're going to be really confused um about what is happening and he says prophecy is assigned for believers but if unbelievers come in they're going to be convicted by sin and become believers so here is where and we talk about open-handed and closed-handed issues all the time this is very open-handed um but this is the uh, in the ESV study Bible notes, this is the the stance they take on the verse. Um, and as I was reading through, I think this is where I land as well. What Paul is trying to say, and I think it sometimes just gets lost in translation from Greek to, to English, is that tongues are a sign for unbelievers in the sense that if people's hearts are not open to God, if they are truly unbelievers, um, when they see tongues, it will drive them away. Um, hmm. but prophecy would be a sign for believers in that if people are open to who God is and they hear prophecy, it doesn't drive them away, but rather it pulls them in. Yeah. So it's almost kind of the opposite of the way we would read that in English. Um, but that's my best guess as, as to what Paul is saying there. Because again, if we, if we kind of read it as, if we read it as it sits and just kind of with our English context, it just seems to contradict everything before and everything afterwards. And yeah. that verse is just randomly in the middle. If we read it through that lens, again, it's still really complicated, but I think it uh, it forms a cohesive thought for the, for the chapter. I don't know if you have any extra thoughts on that. No, I think you got to remember um, what, what's the purpose of the gifts God gives to his people. Um, the purpose of the gifts is to build the church, is to edify the church. Um, part of the church's mission is to reach the the lost, those who don't know about Christ. Um, we see in the book of Acts when tongues first enters the scene uh, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you, we find people that have yet to hear the gospel or hearing the gospel in the tongues that the disciples and the 120 that were in the upper room were speaking. And so the gospel was communicated in their earthly tongue, which then caused uh, a soft heartedness and a responsiveness to the gospel, which they, they're responsible. What should we do? Uh, you hear, you see Peter's big first me- like preaching message that 3000 were then added to the church that day. And uh, it's a pretty significant thing, but the purpose of the gifts that God gives and this and prophecy is one of the gifts. It is this idea of speaking with the words of God. It's, it's wisdom and knowledge of God's word uh, and not just scripture, but just like there's a word that, that the Holy spirit is. So it's, a word that the Holy Spirit produces within us that's in alignment with God's word as scripture. I'm trying not to be confusing, um, but we've got to remember the, the purpose. The purpose is to build the church. It's to right. um, increase the capacity of souls in God's kingdom. That's what I mean by build the church. It's not just to develop people and develop Christians, so to speak, but it's also to reach people. That's building the kingdom, building the church. Um, and so when we 
when we focus on, and this is part of what Paul was addressing in First Corinthians, was the the misconduct, the the missing it, if you will, of the Corinthian Christians, and they were becoming more about the impressiveness of some of these gifts and neglecting their role to build God's church. Um, and so I think it's 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 an interesting question for sure, and uh, it's a hard one to, in some respects, read isolated, even in the text itself. Uh, it, it, the challenge Paul is giving the Corinthian Christians is to make sure that they stay focused on what they're called to. It's to make sure that they don't misuse what God, because that's part of the Corinthian context. Right. <laughs> they, they were misusing the truth that they've been given. Getting I drunk mean, on communion wine. Yeah, right. And it's like, you, that's why he says you shouldn't eat before you have communion, because you're not supposed to use communion and the juice and the bread as, as a meal. It's meant to be a, a, a symbolic act and a reminder of, of Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, and so he's correcting and bringing a correction to the church. Uh, and so they were just saying, he's, he's talking about this idea of maturity versus immaturity, which is the opening line there in verse 20. Um, but I think it's important just to remember, like, what's the purpose of these? Prophecy is a gift of the spirit where we're speaking the word of God in, in a manner that is compelling and convicting and brings people to repentance of sin. But there is truth in Evan, you were saying this already, like if their hearts are not receptive, I mean, I think it's in the gospels or maybe, maybe it's Acts, but I'm pretty sure it's in the gospels. Like no one can say Lord referring to submission to Christ, except by the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are not receptive. It's the Holy Spirit who brings conversion. It's his messengers, his people who speak God's word, uh, whether you're a pastor or you're, you know, a Boeing worker, Boeing is a company here locally and across the country. People but know who, what Boeing is. Some people do, not everybody. Um, Australia people don't know Boeing. Oh, I bet you they fly Boeing planes. They might fly Boeing planes, but they don't know what the... Anyways, nah. Evan, if we I, know I, what, I disagree with you on this If I know one, what okay? Airbus is, people know what Boeing is. <laughs> so anyways, all that to say, I think that there's it's an important thing to understand and realize um, that the gifts God gives us are meant to build his church, capital church, see, not a church organization, but capital church, increase the capacity of souls. Um and prophecy is part of that. Tongues is part of that. Yep. Um, and that's my, like, that's my stance. I know there's some people that go out there and, well, the gifts are not for today. And that, that's fine that they believe that that becomes an open-handed issue. But for me, I don't believe that. So um, I think when it comes to these things, especially this question, it's so deep and so hard to hone in on. Well, let's talk about the idea of prophecy here. Like let's, let's hit, like let's, let's, but there's so much more to that conversation, especially in the context of first Corinthians. So mm -hmm. um, I feel like I kind of went around a little bit on accident, not intending to, uh, but I think you just got to remember the purpose of the gifts God gave the, through the Holy Spirit. Um, why they were given is to build the church. Um, and there will always, if our hearts are not receptive, the gifts being displayed won't matter much anyways if the hearts are not receptive yeah. of the individuals, not necessarily God's people. So, um, cause there's more than just prophecy and tongues as gifts. There's hospitality, there's, you know, wisdom there. Right. And, and you can, you can speak as much and as eloquently as you can, but if hearts are not soft towards truth or towards the Holy spirit, then they're not going to be receptive to the truth of the gospel. Yeah. So, which does, I mean, it, it's a good bring back to, uh, <clears throat> verse 21 where it says in the law is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me mm -hmm. says the Lord so there you go 
Um, well, hopefully, again, really complicated question, really complicated passage of the Bible. Um, hopefully that was helpful. Um, if not, we can take another crack at it later. But uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there for this episode of Let's Read the Bible. We just remind everyone that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts on our website at grove.church. Have a great day.